Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast in a temporary form Zoom as we've been having some issues with our podcast platform. I'm Alison Humphreys, I'm Director of Recruitment Leadership and I am today joined by my friend Angela Cripps. Angela is Director of Recruiting Gym, a lifer in recruitment like me. Um, I think Angela you started in 93 with Blue Arrow, is that right? Uh, 89 actually 89 yeah, I, became, I became a manager okay. in 92 93 yes but, uh, eight, late 80s so seen a world of change um in that time our focus today because Angela is as I think many of you listeners will know absolutely an expert on learning and development and our focus today is particularly uh, not just on general good practice around learning and development but I would like to talk about the hiring of experienced recruiters and I'm putting some sort of um, speech marks around uh, experienced recruiters because what I'm observing is a lot of people who've moved companies um, in the recent past with a you know a limited amount of experience and some pitfalls um, that their new employers have fallen into so we're going to play around with that I want to start with a statistic actually which comes from Advisor Plus. Now, for any listeners who don't know Advisor Plus, it's a very good, very reputable virtual HR um, expert system with people on it. And Advisor Plus just released a piece of research which shows that according to their survey, performance management and disciplinary actions have increased by 44% in the last 12 months. Now, we could speculate for quite a long time about some of the reasons for that, you know, people perhaps not really being good at remote working and people hiring desperately and so forth. But I thought it was a good starting point because I've observed a lot of experienced recruiters who move and then they're not working out. So, Angela, um, over to you. What, in your view, are the pros and cons of hiring people who have some recruitment experience? Well, let's start with the pros then. The fact that they know what they're getting themselves into, because I don't know if you remember your first few weeks in recruitment, but that's sort of three days, three weeks, three months where you have those realizations of, oh my God, what is this? It's not what I was expecting. Three weeks, it's, this is really hard. <laughs> and three months sometimes is, this isn't for me. I've got to put too much effort into this. There's too many ups and downs. Didn't realise that I had to actually be that proactive in what I was doing. So if you've got a person that's already been in recruitment, then they've gone through that process. So the likelihood is you're not likely to lose them in the first three to six months. And we do have an issue in the recruitment industry because we don't make it obvious. We sell all the good stuff in our interviews. We don't sell the bad stuff. I had seven hours of interviews to become a recruitment consultant with three different people um, and they tried to put me off 
Now I'm still here 32 years later, so maybe, maybe that's a good ploy uh, to let people know the reality of it. So the ex experienced person, great, they've got that. We'll flip backwards and forwards. The con to that, they know what to say. So they're really good in interviews. They're recruitment consultants. Of course, they're gonna come up with great answers. Of course, they're gonna sound great. Unfortunately, unless you do the evaluation, unless you do your due diligence, unless you really question and probe and really focus on those sort of criterion referenced interview questions on competencies, getting them to give examples, anything hypothetical, they will come up with a great answer. So it's the drilling down and not just accepting the first answer in your interview. So again, be a good recruiter yourself. Make sure that you are actually probing even further on that. So when they say, oh, I hit target every year, Fantastic. What was the target? Well, we didn't really have one. We sort of set our own. <laughs> well, no, no surprise then. Okay. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, the way that language is used, I think it, it's easy to underestimate the differences between different recruitment businesses. So just to pick that example, um, what a lot of people are referring to as targets are in fact just expectations. They're not stretch targets. They're sometimes minimum acceptable levels as well, aren't they? And Similarly, when people describe, you know, challenges or events in their in their previous employment, again, it's quite easy for a recruitment business owner to fall into the trap of assuming that the context was exactly the same. Um, that, for example, that the market conditions, attitudes, um, the position of the recruitment business in, in terms of negotiating strength were all the same as they are experiencing themselves and now. So it, it's, it is a real skill, isn't it? Yeah, and that is one of the big failures because you've, you've done it in one company, you assume you can do it in another and mm. it's a totally different story. Even just the culture can change your ability. Um, I always quote Melcrum's study around the performance and the impact that your manager has on your performance. And that Melcrum study of thousands of people um, came out 63%. So nearly two thirds of whether you're gonna be successful or not is how you're gonna be managed. Well, that will be different because it's a different person um, in a different company. And even if it's the same person and you move with them, because we get a lot of that in recruitment, still different companies, still different settings hopefully different clients you haven't taken the clients with you so therefore it's going to be different okay so we've had one positive one negative let's let's go back to a positive then your onboarding process will be fast-tracked not missed fast-tracked because again you can assess them as you go through you can see whether they are capable or not and if they've got it and you're happy then great move on to the next bit keep developing them through i, I write onboarding programs um, for companies for six, six months usually is, is the average that we tackle. But if you've got an experienced person, then I expect, I'd expect them to get through that in two months. So great, that saved you a lot of time. The third month, they end up then writing their quarterly business plan for the next quarter, and they're pretty much away at that point. But here's the negative. So many people don't onboard them. They don't go through an induction process with them. They make assumptions. And I'm going to have to put my hand up. I was one of those. I only ever recruited one person with experience. I'm still in contact with her today, so I won't say, say her name. Um, but she'd got three years experience. And I was like, fantastic. Because I'm, I mean, I love the training, but my team was getting bigger and bigger at that point. So to bring someone on that had experience was brilliant. And I went on a client meeting with her probably about two months in, three months in. I was like, oh, my God questioning wise was pretty poor 
at that point. And I had just assumed that uh, she would know what she's doing after three years with a big national global company. So she she would have had training. I am so glad you gave that example because, mm. uh, again, an observation of mine is that people are hiring experience, in inverted commas, assuming that they won't have to do any, any work or indeed, you know, thinking that it will be insulting to that person to actually check in on them and listen to how they're achieving their results. Mm. So, you know, we all know that with the best will in the world, some people do get lucky and they can even score a deal without being particularly skilled. What they can't do is do that consistently and replicate it. So we get that phenomenon, don't we, where somebody bangs something on the board, everyone goes, phew, they're a natural, we can leave them alone now, uh, and never listens to how they're achieving what they've achieved. And those skills, like questioning, and I want to put particular emphasis on effective interviewing of candidates, not qualifying people for jobs, which is not the same thing, mm. but effective interviewing is often really underdeveloped, isn't it? Um, and people are able to, to work to an extent, but they will never achieve their, their true potential unless we dig into you know, what could still be improved. And again, just to expand on that thought, the idea that somebody is ready-made at any point really you know but particularly sub three years in recruitment I'm fairly abstract figure let's go with that for now um is daft really isn't it because as we've seen the market can go you know completely change direction and people have established habits based around the previous conditions. Now, you and I are still doing the jobs we've been doing in, God, for whatever, 35 years, 36 years in my case, uh, not the same job at all, but we're still here because of the ability to spot the change and adapt to it. Is yeah, that a fair well, statement? Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to push that three years. Um, I've, been, I've been doing some looking into this. I think we've got recruiters out there with up to 10 years experience with not a lot of skill level. Think about it. We came out of the GFC. Sorry, I, I work with Australia a lot. So global financial crisis, credit crunch, whatever you want to call it. And it was easy. The business was there and it just got better and better and better for many years until we've hit this scenario. We knew something was coming. It tends to come in 10 year cycles anyway. Just wasn't expecting the global pandemic. But here we are. So you've got a lot of consultants that have had it pretty easy. So it was a real shock for them when suddenly all the business went, all the clients went. And it was like, now what do we do? You've got all these candidates last summer scrabbling around, people being made redundant, on furlough and issues. So they sort of focused on the client, client side and very quickly it switches. And we know this happens. You've got about a six month period where it switches the other way and it went really quickly to, oh, my goodness, where's the candidates gone? Uh, everyone's got jobs. It's not as bad as we thought. So therefore, everyone's sort of pushing on and carrying on. We know we can work from home uh, for the majority of the businesses that these are in. Obviously, there were some sectors that, that were really impacted. Most of the business, most of the recruitment companies have had their best year <laughs> this year. So they've now got recruitment consultants that are struggling under the weight of the jobs that they've got because they haven't learned about qualifying the jobs and qualifying the clients they're working with and being able to push back and to negotiate and I mean the fact that yes we were just talking about I'm doing some negotiation skills it's a market where the client should be paying 
full fee at least, not more, because of how difficult it is. That supply and demand, it keeps flexing. And that's where recruiters, that business savvy, and actually being able to, we used to have an old course called Building a Business of Choice. And therefore it was about picking the good clients, the good candidates, the good jobs to work on, which meant you got paid. Um, so the model of negotiation, the model of the services that we're offering, they always get looked at when things happen. Your existing uh, consultants, if you've got some people that have been around for a long time, will have those skills to be able to flex and adapt and think differently. What are we got to do now? How are we going to approach this? How can we take advantage of this situation? It's that positive solution orientated person. That's when the recruiter comes into their own. But we have got a lot out there that are just like, I don't know what to do. Um, I think it's a good point. Well made, actually, that given that the economy tends to run in these 10 year cycles to have experienced all or not all possible circumstances, but all historic circumstances, um, and have adjusted to those. But you're right, it probably does take about 10 years. So for business owners out there, they'll be saying, well, it's all very easy to criticise what we're doing. What, in fact, is best practice for onboarding um, people with some experience in a way that doesn't unnecessarily slow them down or patronise them? Um, so, Angela, what, give us some pointers. What do you think is best practice for bringing on this group when they join a new company? So you need to set the expectation right from the interview. So they know, again, before they accept the job, what the expectations are. So letting them know that you have a six month probation and therefore you have a six month onboarding uh, process that goes with that. Well, that makes sense. That's logical. So someone's going to accept that. If they're experienced, you can say we've, we've got a version for totally green people. So what I would expect with you is we'll look through that and we'll fast track you through those programs. I'm not expecting you to have to repeat, repeat, repeat on the development that we're going to be doing. You'll get it first time, very likely. But what I want you to be honest with me is that if you don't get it first time, if it's not something you've come across before, it might be you've been in recruitment three, four years, but actually you've never had any structured training on this. And therefore you're doing it because you can, but you're not actually understanding why. And that's what happens when you get that understanding behind it. That's when you can adapt. That's when you can change because you know what's going wrong. When you keep doing what you're doing, but you don't know why you're doing it, unfortunately, makes it very difficult to then um, go to plan B uh, because it's like I didn't even know what plan A was really. But actually, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and hope it works at some point. So critical for me, one, set that expectation Two, let them know they are part of the team. And being part of the team means supporting others as well. So you want them to go through this onboarding process because there will be people coming after them. And part of the program is to give feedback on it. What works, what doesn't, what's a good bit, what should be done more? How can we change it? How can we adapt it? How can we make it better? And therefore you going through it, you will know what people after you will be experiencing you will be able to help and support as you grow. What's critical is that you haven't got the person at the top onboarding everyone. They haven't got time. So you need the whole team to be involved. It's a bit like it takes a village <laughs> to bring a, bring a recruiting uh, consultant on board. Mm. So that's where we want to be. So there's another reason why they should be going through the process. And within that, there's role plays, there's assessments, there's quizzes, there's tests, there's projects. These are all set out and you are expecting them to excel at it. Here's your opportunity to show others how good you are. So don't see it as we're looking down on you and we, we want to see how you do things. 
take it as an opportunity. You're only in, you've only been in there a month. We're going to get you to do a role play with someone else that's been with a company a couple of two, three years. Here's your opportunity to profile yourself within the business for them to take a step back and go, wow, that's brilliant. Here's some maybe some tips. Here's some notes because it's all set out with criteria and marking scheme and everything. So again, that it's objective, not subjective. So that now let's just expand on that because I think I, I think that's a really good point you just hit on. Where you are involving a whole number of people in developing and assessing a new hire, um, experienced or inexperienced, it is really important, isn't it, to have actually agreed what the the points are that you want to be able to check off. Or if there is, broadly speaking, a structure to a process that you want to make sure people have covered every step of, not a script, really important, but a structure, then everybody needs to be really clear on what that structure is. Now, again, it's it's so easy for things like this to happen. Busy, busy business owner hands over to one of their best billers and says, could you just like talk them through taking a job spec or something like that, or just make sure that their, you know, their, their skills are right in this area. And without understanding learning and development properly, here's the big risk, and you're smiling because you know exactly where I'm going with this. Um, the big risk is that instead of teaching the process that happens 99% of the time, Big Biller wants to tell some interesting stories. Yes, and don't worry um, about that. This is how I do it. I make loads of money. Yeah, I've come on, you know, don't leave all that theory behind. Here's the way this this is the magic thing that happened to me one time. And those stories are memorable precisely because they're exceptional, aren't they? Um, So they do stories, anecdotes do tend to stick in people's mind. But unless they learn the right underlying process and you all agree it, where ultimately it just becomes the way we do things around here, mm-hmm. um, then you've what you've got is people actually undermining your training through with the best of intentions, haven't you? Now I have this. It's very common, of course, to do something like you know a lunch and learn session uh, around businesses where a someone who's recently had success stands up and will do exactly that. No structure. Talk people through a couple of anecdotes and examples that they've you know they've um, put together very very quickly Um, and apart from not having any underlying process that people can remember and apply consistently there's also no follow-through on the application of that Mm. so we spend an hour eating our scoffing our pizza listening to somebody's anecdotes and then everyone goes back to their desk and nobody changes anything about what they're doing so yeah. um no, having, are- a, having a structure having a process having a checklist oh, i love checklists mm. there's too much to remember in recruitment have a checklist work you through so even with the role plays there's a 10 point checklist did the person build rapport how yeah. Did the person ask uh, probing questions on your answers? Did they uncover that in, in your, your information pack that you had this issue? And did they find that out? Don't give it to them if they don't. So they get briefings on it as well. So there'll be like one point and it might be you've got to give a six months notice period. <laughs> it's like, did they actually get to that point? Because that's going to be an issue at some point when you get an offer and they suddenly find out if they haven't asked it. Or it might be that you've, you've got something booked that you can't start for a certain period of time. But whatever it is, some little red flag or something that they've got to uncover by themselves. So 
it's it's sort of a bit of gamification because you've you've then got a score. So that experienced person, let's see if you can get the top score um, out of the new people that we've had through it. So yeah, let's give them an opportunity for praise. And, and that's how I would tackle it with a new person that we want you to shine, but we also want to make sure if there are any gaps, we're going to pick them up and we're going to develop those within those first few months. So you are going to be more successful here than you would have been in your last company because we're going to help you to do that. And I mean, we're L&D people, so that would be in our culture, in our business. I mean, again, I, I made sure I trained every, I trained everyone else's people as well. They sent them to me for their first week because I just loved training and developing people and, and like you say, going through those processes and making sure they'd got it. Um, so I think that that's critical for any new starter, if they're experienced, don't assume, don't make any assumptions, check it off, go through your checklist, make sure that you're doing the assessments, you are doing spot checks, you are listening in, you are hearing how they are representing your company because what went in the last company and might have been great and everyone cheered it, that go totally against your values. So that's probably my next bit. Recruit people on values not just experience. Do they actually fit in with what you're trying to achieve and where you're going? They may be the best recruitment consultant in the world, but we've all had it where you bring someone in and it's just who they are, goes against everyone else. And they just bat heads all the time. And it's usually personal values that you can bring it down to and see where they are just totally on a different script Ooh. to everyone else. Now, that's a really interesting point because I think most listeners will agree that it's a good thing to interview for values. But what um, I, I would guess is that a lot of our listeners, recruitment business owners, don't actually know how to do that. So would you like to give them some pointers? How do you, let's say you have, um, oh, I don't know, a value about... Um, well, you pick one from your experience and how, okay. how you would interview. Yes, them. because you're right. This this is a huge area and it it's something that could take forever in an interview. So so part of my interview process, part of the onboarding, we look at the interview process because there's no point bringing in people that are not going to work anyway. We have a value sheet with 30 values on it, 30 personal values. It's a five minute exercise. So it's part of their interview process that they fill out this value sheet. So you, you bring them in, do the first interview. That's probably going to be over Zoom now. People aren't going to be traveling for first interviews, but half an hour, 40 minutes with them. And then before they come to the second interview, get them to fill out the value sheet. It's five minutes and it establishes their top values out of these 30. What's most important to them? So the way it works is, okay, I'm going to give you more of this value. How do you feel? One to five. And now I'm going to take it away. How do you feel? One to five. So if you're scoring five on both and it's a 10 value, then yeah, I would be devastated if you took it away, but I'd be thrilled if you gave me more of it. So um, advancement is one of them. Let's go with that as we're on L&D. Um, so that ability to develop themselves and develop what they're doing, develop their skill levels um, and advance for themselves. So it's not about ambition. That's another one. So yeah, I want, I want to get up to the top. I don't want to learn anything more. I just want to be at the top of the ladder. Advancement is, is that advancing, um, advancing in their own abilities. 
there's mastery of a task as well. So that ability to be seen as the expert. So if that is a 10 value and you need someone in your business that is going to champion L&D, I'm looking at that person rather than someone else uh, to bring into the business because the likelihood is if they want to be doing that, they want to help other people to be doing that as well. Um, and that could be the question. My first interview at, at 20 with Blue Arrow, one of my first questions was, have you got a training department? Because I'd spent two years as a um, self-employed financial consultant and I ended up training everyone else at sort of age 18. I'm changing training these 50 year old blokes on how to fill out all the documents to make sure the mortgage went through. <laughs> because I just loved all the detail and I loved it right from the start helping others. So my one of my first questions was, have you got a training department? And the answer was actually we've got an award-winning one. They, they'd actually won uh, national training awards, which isn't recruitment related. This is whole business related. So I was like, yes, this is my home. This is where I want to be, which is why I stuck out seven hours of interviews. So this is critical to really tapping into who is that person. And therefore, everyone in the business also needs to have taken that. So normally I'd put it in with the appraisals once a year, review your values. Some are there for life. So from five, seven years old, that's you, that's who you are, and they are not going to go. But the others change depending on your life experiences. So not surprisingly, health and well-being has gone way up the list in the last couple of years. Um, and family happiness and that ability to be able to be independent <laughs> from those, those values. Um, and so people that haven't had that have struggled more, whereas it's actually worked for a lot of people and obviously they want to continue that. So do it with everyone in the business. Look at your own because that's where you're likely, if it's your running the business, if it's your business, that's where you're going to want to it to go because that's going to make you feel good and you're going to love the people that are working with you. But then gather everyone else's and find out what are the top what five or so for the whole company. So you've now got the company personal values. This now links to your engagement strategy. So making sure people stay with you, which is the big issue at the moment that people are having. How do I retain them? I can't afford to lose them. Well, get the value sorted. Look at your engagement strategy. What are you doing that actually enhances those values and doesn't go against them? So you can then plan your incentives um, and, and um, spot prizes and whatever it is you're doing in the business, your people plan, I call it. So what are you doing to make sure that you're hitting in on all of those values so a new person coming in done a first interview really like them great five minute exercise give that to them to do their personal values and from there you can then question them and really dig into who that person is on the second interview you've done the capabilities on the first you're going to follow up on some of those as well um, and ask more questions because you'll have been thinking about it and go oh, i'm not sure about that answer but the, the individual and how they're going to fit into the team should be the critical element of the second interview Thank you. And just to add to that, I find it very helpful to talk about some episodes in the recent past, which are really probe, it all goes back to questioning, um, to really probe, but why did you decide to act in that way in those circumstances? And very often that's that's the first time the interviewer has thought about their deep psychological motivations yeah. and assumptions and so forth um, that, that persuaded them that that was the right course of action. Now, I just want to circle back for a moment to, um, you were talking about separate training departments. And for a lot of um, the business owners that I work with, there's a real challenge here. They are all very, very busy at the moment. There's lots of good intentions about, you know, either creating a structured onboarding program, or I sometimes prepare really detailed ones. Now, I've had 
a lot of success with creating all the materials, training trainers, i.e. live recruiters, to then go on and you know take some time out sharing the burden of training but with the certainty that they're all delivering the same thing yeah. as you were touching on earlier which is all capable of being cross-checked assessed by line managers but I'm often quite surprised by the number of people who in a really relatively small business say to me should I hire a learning and development manager and I'm thinking well, you've, you've got eight people, you know, that seems, ex, you know, an excessive burden to take on unless there's something missing from the skill set of your business leaders. You know, they, um, they either don't want to or can't uh, train and onboard people. So I just like your thoughts, Angela, on best practice in this area. So for, say, someone who's in a very small business that's ambitious um, and how it differ, how your approach to learning and development might differ as your business expands to say 100 people and so forth. Yes, yeah, very different. I, I'm finding that it's around the 25 to 30 people that people are considering someone that's more dedicated to L&D. So yeah, eight, eight people definitely wouldn't recommend it. There is so much out there to help and support you in your business. So as, as a leader of a small business, you do not need to be doing everything. Um, one of the critical things I'm pushing at the moment with my clients is to allocate a budget to every person that they can spend on whatever they want. So 250 pounds for the year. And it could be anything that's gonna make them happier. So we're back to that retention again. Now it could be work related. It could not be. It might be something, I don't know, there's a, there's a course for 99 pounds on being better at Fortnite. <laughs> Oh, this is what they spend their evenings doing. This is what makes them happy. And therefore some, some L&D in that area is going to, again, make them more engaged with your business. We know more engaged people create, what's it, 27% more, more profit, bottom line. So we're all winning straight away. The other side to that is to make sure that they have a focus each quarter on what is their development areas doing SWOT analysis, looking at the last quarter, what do I need to improve? Okay, how am I gonna do that? And that might be a discussion amongst the team and you've got someone who is brilliant in that area, lovely, I want you to shadow them. Um, I can remember going to Ealing branch, oh, it was a nightmare getting there, um, and spending a half day shadowing their care consultant because I was setting up a care desk and hadn't done it before. And I learned so much <laughs> just, just from actually um, being there and observing her and then being able to ask questions. So it doesn't necessarily need to take time out of the person's day. Um, and of course, if they're working from home, we, we've got a lot with our team where we're just on Zoom and we're there and we're, we're sort of in the room with people um, and not. And with AI coming in, that, that's going to be physically possible as well, where you feel like you're sitting around the desk together, isn't it? Um, so think about what are the other ways that they could be learning, they could be developing themselves that's not taking time away for you? One of the bits I love that's part of their onboarding programme is the project they have to do for month two. So their project is to identify what's going on in the marketplace, to identify sort of the top five players. Who are the movers and shakers? Who are the people that people should know about? What's happening? Um, so every time you've got a new person coming in, you're getting updated data on what's happening in the marketplace, terminology, qualifications, anything new, legislation. So they know this from week two, that they have a project to hand in at the end of month two, and it's gotta be a minimum of two and a half thousand words. Now, 
disability wise, it could be a video presentation if they're dyslexic or they would struggle with words. It could be um, gathered information that they've pulled together, but they're not actually writing it. How they do it, you need to have had that discussion if, if it's going to be an issue for them. But this also means anytime they're sitting there going, doing you know and you're like oh I haven't got time to spend with you and I need you to just get on and do something they work on their project they're getting market information they'll be picking up leads they'll be working through and so if that's been explained to them in week two then they always have something to do and they'll be gathering and they'll be looking at competitors and doing research and it's all beneficial they're learning they're understanding the industry obviously if they're experienced they're going to do it quickly they're going to know where to go um, but any new I did five different sectors in recruitment and every time I had to do that because it I felt like a fish out of water the terminology was different I didn't know the clients I didn't know the, the different positions they were all very different sectors so mm. being able to pull that together quickly to get you on your way um, is a great way of one saving the manager time um, and two that that recruitment consultant coming in to really feel like they're giving something back as well to the rest of the team end of month two they have to present this to the team again an experienced person opportunity to shine a new person green we're not expecting much of you so whatever you do will be great brilliant love it uh let's just sort of wrap up now i think that the whole notion of some more self-directed learning that people can can be learning independently um, it, all it requires is some planning on your part if you're a business owner, isn't it? Yeah. So um, if you have planned out that, um, for example, you're going to send off your trainee to do X, Y and Z, find out something from the CRM system or learn about job um, specifications uh, from adverts and so forth, then you, if you've planned it, you can send them away and say, right, go away. Learn, research this independently and then you come back and tell me mm -hmm. and that will still fulfill the learning and development objective but it, it doesn't happen unless yeah. you plan it does it yeah well that's it so it's on a briefing sheet they know what they've got to do they know the expectations what's going to come back you give them the headings and they mm. can expand on it if they want so it's not like you're asking them to start from the beginning but, but what is great as well is from that presentation you now know how they communicate how they get across written information, how they get across verbal information, they've got to stand and present it. So from your clients and your candidates point of view, how are they representing you as a business when you're not there? Um, because this is the type of communication they do. So it does tend to pick up as well where there are big issues <laughs> that you weren't aware of. So yes. picking it up quite early. And if they're really struggling with that, again, we're all about research. We're all about gathering information and providing solutions to it. So if they can't do the research to start with and, and get interested in the sector, they're not likely to be successful. Angela, thank you so much for your thoughts on that. Really helpful. Uh, so for those people who are listening, if they'd like to contact Angela, um, what's your email address, Angela? I'm Angela at recruitinggym.com. Uh, we've got our website, which is recruitinggym.com. And we've also got the training website, which is train.recruitinggym.com. So uh, do connect with me, find me on LinkedIn. And we offer five free training courses to everyone in the recruitment industry. So straight away, there is no excuse for your people not to be learning. Lots of people will be interested in that. Um, this is Alison Humphreys. And you can reach me if you'd like to discuss the whole of your business, including LD. You can reach me on alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. Angela, thank you so much for taking part. Hopefully see you soon. 
and um, happy 2022. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.